Hi, folks. Welcome to a special episode of Yo, What the Hell? Um, normally, a show where two friends get together and talk about stuff. But nope. Today, we're talking about me doing more homework. Um, this is hopefully going to be shorter than the last one. Fingers crossed. Um, same deal. Doing four takeaways from a book and then four from some readings that you don't have access to. Uh, the book is How the South Won the Civil War. And real quick, just going to go through my takeaways. It's the South never died. It just moved west. Uh, individualism is an American value. Uh, another Alexi de Tocqueville. And then I got the ideal cowboy. That is for the book. Uh, and then for the uh, canvas readings, I got parallels between the searchers and the walking dead. I got the idea of white privilege, uh, real engine and the searchers. And then I got what the use of zombies as a chaotic element says about our culture. All right, let's do this. All right, so the South never died, it just moved west. The idea that the Confederacy died is a false one at worst and a naive one at best. The Confederacy is obviously still alive and kicking in so many capacities. Uh, this book does a fantastic job of showcasing that. Uh, the ideas that the South propagated did not just go away, they moved west. Uh, the South wanted to have its own independence, which is one of the main factors that went into the Civil War, you know, aside from the whole slavery aspect. Uh, the West is no different, it seems. As of late, you know, there's been growing calls for the, you know, the secession of sorts out in California and some other states. Uh, there's also just the rampant racism and other issues that plague the area, but, you know, that's not just a Southern thing at all. It's an American thing. We're good at that, uh, unfortunately. Uh, the ideas that the South propagated didn't just go away. They lay dormant until the time is right for them to come back. Uh, we still have plenty of spaces that weren't part of the Confederacy that still fly the rebel flag. Uh, looking at you, you know, upstate New York, you know, weird parts of California and Oregon, like, come on. Uh, you know, the South has been romanticized in all forms of media, uh, so much so that the atrocities and ideas that they fought for have taken on a different feel. Uh, it has been wrapped up in the heritage of many people. Uh, there can't be a full United States if there is still something that we have to reckon with. So that was that. Uh, now we're going to talk about some individualism. Uh, America prides itself on the idea of individualism. It's in all of our media. Our culture revolves around it so much that it's almost a trait of America itself. Uh, we see it in the bootstraps mentality mostly. Uh, that is, you know, the adage of you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Um, it's awful. Everyone needs some help. Uh, and um, with that mentality, it just, you know, kind of comes off as if you aren't working to better yourself by yourself, then you're a failure of a human being. You're not supposed to rely on anybody else. The idea of moving west is a good example. There is something romantic about setting off on one's own way to make something of themselves. We have that in our works of fiction and other allegories. Uh, to me, this is something that Ronald Reagan set in motion. He parlayed his acting career in westerns and other movies into the role of president of the United States. Uh, the charisma he had was something to behold. Uh, this became wrapped up in the American ethos. We have, you know, to pull up ourselves up by our own means. Uh, the government is evil and it's not going to help you. It's just a riff on the phrase that Reagan came up with. Uh, this is something, you know, that I felt like was really huge in the 90s, uh, maybe not so much anymore. I feel like society has now realized that it's okay to rely on others. Uh, and I also think this, the pandemic itself 
has helped that in some regard. Uh, we're relying on our neighbors and friends to wear masks in an effort to keep each other safe. Um, you know, it's almost like a uh, cultural shaming when you don't do that. Like, I mean, businesses will kick you out, so you got to play by the rules. All right. Alexi de Tocqueville. Again, Alexi de Tocqueville is a prophet when it comes to the ideas of American individualism. We owe him so many drinks. Uh, he knew that this would be a feature and not a bug in American culture. Uh, in his work, that is a, there's a quote that's just very striking to me. All right. So uh, I'm going to quote from Alexi de Tocqueville's Democracy in America. Uh, and the quote is, An instinctive tendency raises the human mind in vain towards the higher spheres of intelligence. Interest leads it back towards the middle ones. Uh, that is where it puts forth its strength and restless activity and brings forth miracles. These very Americans who have not discovered a single one of ge the general laws of mechanics have introduced to navigation a new machine that is changing the face of the world. And what I think he means by that is that we as Americans had no knowledge of why things work the way they do. You know, we can take that thing and with no prior knowledge craft it into something that is useful, useful for us and, and society. Uh, we have done that with the idea of individualism, which is not to say that we came up with, you know, we just turned it into our own idea and part of our national identity. Uh, we just take an idea and we run with it. Who needs time to iron out the bugs of a plan when there's a whole vast area to test it on and so many small tribes of their own cultures to destroy, which is just perfect segue into my next, which is the ideal cowboy. All right, so now we're going to be talking about the ideal cowboy. Uh, the ideal cowboy is an allegory for America herself. They go into a new land and bend it to their will. The image we have of a lone cowpoke sitting by the campfire playing the harmonica is as American as apple pie. The idea of the lone wanderer making a name for themselves while battling both internal and external forces so they're just a perfect comparison to America. The best part is the idea of the cowboy isn't even American. We stole it from the gauchos and we made it our own. Uh, which is just an even better comparison that mirrors something that, you know, Tocqueville just said. That I quote. Uh, the fact that in a lot of westerns the hero rides off into the sunset with the girl and everything is perfectly fine. It's just a fitting allegory for the white male take on America. It is obvious that the hero is supposed to be the white man making the life of those who oppose him. You know, read that as Native Americans and other non-white races miserable. Uh, whereas the white folks have a brief spat of trouble and then everything is all honky-dory after the hero comes in and then, you know, just removes that issue. There is a romantic idea that the life of a cowboy is a glamorous one that could not be further from the truth. Life in general was not a glamorous one. And these cowboys were former soldiers who needed some, you know, work to keep them going. This work was dangerous and not well-paying. The idea of getting trampled to death at night because the cows got scared. It's just nightmare-inducing for anyone. Word. So that's the book takeaways. There is another theme in it that is just the dashing hero that rescues her. And that can be taken as an allegory for taking the West and the Plains from the Indians. But that's a whole can of worms for another day. Uh, the main character, he's a returning Confederate soldier and just has this love-hate relationship with the Indians, it seems. You know, he can speak their language, but he just really loves to hunt them down. Uh, the Walking Dead is almost the same type of thing. You have the zombies who are not capable of any thought, other than killing and eating. There's no reasoning with them at all. Uh, they have the same goal of just killing everyone and turning them into a zombie. The Walking Dead is just... it's a western uh, the scene where Rick is riding the horse down the highway in the very first episode just really sets the mood. I mean, 
you you know what I'm talking about. Empty highway on one side, cars full on the other side. Like he's just marching into the future, just on his horse. Just a whole big message. Uh, the whole show just revolves around trying to ward off the ever-present danger of zombies and just trying to make a new life in the lawlessness of the apocalypse. Uh, while, while there aren't some of the same themes present, I, the feel is the same. A group of survivors in this case working together to try and make it, try and make it in their new world they exist in. If that isn't an allegory for the Western frontier, I don't know what is. All right, so now we're going to talk about white privilege. White privilege is one hell of a drug. It is something that we as white people have going on in our favor. We have the benefit of the doubt in almost any situation. Uh, for example, I had a buddy who was not white. He got caught up with an eighth of weed, and guess what? He went to jail. Whereas my friends and I were smoking out at my buddy's house watching basketball and the cops got called on us for just being too loud, you know, noise complaint. Well, no one got a ticket. They just took all the smoking utensils and left us to our game slightly more sober instead of locking us up in jail and having for having way more than an eighth of weed. I, like, honest to God, don't even think they took the weed because it was just, so, just such a small amount at that point. Uh, the other main point I want to make is that it's just so much easier to drive while being white. Uh, I had an ex, and she had come pick me up. So she could go run errands uh, as she she was just tired of being stopped while driving while black. Uh, the sheer amount of privilege that the color of your skin makes is just a huge boon to us. We expect the cops to be our friends no matter what, as opposed to shooting us the first second they lay eyes on us. Uh, just because we have privilege doesn't mean that we're all fine. You know, everyone has their own things that they have to deal with, but we should definitely have more compassion and empathy for those people who aren't straight white men. All right, so now we're going to talk about Real Engine and The Searchers. The dichotomy between these two movies is striking. Obviously, you know, one's a work of fiction based loosely on reality and the other's a documentary. But the use of The Searchers in the documentary Real Engine is a strong one. Hell, the vast majority of the actors who played natives were not even Indian. This is in The Searchers. Um, they were white, Spanish, Jewish, and German. The use of red face is something that I knew that existed, but not on the level that the film went about. All right, so now we're moving on to the canvas takeaways. Uh, and the first one is the parallels between The Searchers and The Walking Dead. Uh, the parallels between the portrayal of Indians in film and media are very much like that of zombies in current media. Uh, they are both perceived as mindless killing machines. For example, I accidentally watched the movie Saskatchewan instead of The Searchers, uh, I did go back and rent the Searchers as pr on Prime as well, but someone had mislabeled the – they had used, excuse me, a still from the Searchers, but had the movie labeled as Saskatchewan. Uh, so that was a fun little, you know, waste of an hour and a half, but I digress. Uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that the Indians, you know, had a grand total of 30 seconds in the movie Saskatchewan. Uh, the rest of the time, they were just literally spent being like a silent menace, just like hunting the protagonists. Uh, and we see that in the portrayal of zombies. It's almost like they photoshopped over the native, you know, actors and, you know, used decaying skin instead of feathers and war paint. Uh, the point is still there. 
Uh, in the movie The Searchers, which is loosely based off a real account, the main plot point is that they are looking for a girl who's been kidnapped by the Comanche tribe. Uh, the hunt for her is one that will do everything in its power to rescue her. The fact that they juxtapose the scenes from noted westerns and portrayal of Indians by white men with the opinions of actual natives is something that I just really enjoyed. Like, just the reaction. It was like, you know, just the reaction was just like, oh man, this is really terrible. That's just like, all right, yeah, that's that's kind of funny. And they were cracking jokes about it. Uh, the opinions they had on the scenes were just a good look into their views on it as a whole. Uh, I was woefully ignorant of many of the movies mentioned in the film. I had only seen Dances with Wolves uh, in high school as like a film is lit. And then, of course, you know, who hasn't seen Pocahontas, uh, which is, again, a huge can of worms we'll open up on a later day. Uh, the use of Indians as a trope for outsiders that wish to do harm to the fragile white population is a dangerous and disingenuous one. The blatant dehumanization of a culture is a stain on the fabric of America. The state went out of their way to try and force the Indian out of them via Indian schools and making it illegal to do their ceremonies. What absolutely killed me was having the Indians be portrayed by non-indigenous people that perfectly encapsulates the American ethos of race. Why have someone portray themselves when we can just get a white man to do it better? Just slap some red paint on him and call it good. Don't forget the feathers that his tribe probably didn't even wear, or the language they didn't even speak. Nobody's going to know the difference. It's fine. That was sarcasm, by the way. All right. So now we're going to talk about what the use of zombies as a chaotic element says about our culture. Zombies have become a huge part of the pop culture zeitgeist. They are in almost all forms of media, including the obvious movies and TV shows, the aforementioned Walking Dead, uh, as well as several popu popular video game series. Like, you have zombies in Call of Duty, for Christ's sake. Um, you do have, you know, the Walking Dead narrative games, but that's something else. This is not even counting the use of the word in our everyday vernacular. It has become synonymous with a brain-dead follower of the state, almost like, you know, sheeple. Uh, the importance of the genre is that it serves as an allegory for other fears. In the Night of the Living Dead, the zombies are born from a sort of radiation. Well, this was at the time of the Apollo missions in the Cold War. In Dawn of the Dead, it's set in a shopping mall. This is an obvious jab at the idea of consumerism and the horrors of a capitalistic society. And then we have in 28 Days Later, they were created via a virus, and this was at the height of the AIDS epidemic. This genre serves as a way to talk about the fears that we have as a society. Much like how superhero movies are the authoritarian's perfect world, there are always ways for directors and fans to seek comfort into the unknown. We as a species have long since been afraid of what we can't see or comprehend. This is just a way we explain it that doesn't put the viewer in any real sort of danger. Uh, and I will just get on my soapbox real quick and say that Shaun of the Dead is the best zombie movie ever. Um, personal opinion over. Uh, but yeah, this has been a bonus episode of Yo, What the Hell. Uh, I have been Bravo, uh, joined as ever by Toast Producer. And uh, hope you enjoy my homework. All right, bye.